in scale of 1 to 10, 10? 11? Shot, Nick. Man. No. Okay. Hey, um, Murray. Where's Murray hiding? I can't even find you. Hey, bro. Murray's going to come preach to us. Do you want a lectern, bro? I forgot Please, to ask yeah. you. Please, yeah. Could I yep. grab a, could, uh, Nick, a music could you just grab a lectern? Sorry, bro. Yeah. Um, hey, so Murray, not to give him a giant fat head, but Murray and Joy are like one of my heroes. So they're missionaries from... Does anyone know Murray and Joy? A few people? A few people? Cool. They're all right, eh? Legit? <laughs> Scale of one to ten? No, I'm joking. Um, so Murray, Murray's always been one of my heroes because they were missionaries over in Democratic Republic of Congo um, for two to 3,000 years, I think. I don't know. It seems like forever, <laughs> right? For ages. And the, the work they did over there for Jesus was just phenomenal. Like, the, the way the gospel's been moving over there is honestly like, this is crazy stuff. It's just incredible. And the hospitals and all the stuff you guys did... Absolutely phenomenal. So I used to be at a Bible college, and I had um, these guys come in and talk a few times to the students. And then afterwards, so many students would just be like, was that legit? Was that real? And I'm like, yeah, they are that crazy and that amazing for God. It was just awesome, mate. Eh? So we're excited, man, to have you preach. Super excited. Thank you. Um, so let me pray for you, and then I'll get out of the road, and you can bring the word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, gracias, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Jesus, uh, for giving us... Murray and Joy, <laughs> thanks for bringing them here this morning to bless us um, by teaching us more about who you are and about who we are in relation uh, to you, God. That's the core of, of it, right? That's the core mm. of it, um, who we are in relation to you. The more we understand who you are, the more we understand what it means that we are in Christ and Christ dwells in us. Um, everything changes, God. Can you bless Murray this morning? Mm. Uh, can you give him wisdom, give him insight, uh, give him real discernment as he... Um, preaches to us, God. We need to hear from you this morning. Mm. We're desperate to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, so can you guide him? Yeah, pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen. Amen. Thanks. Thank you. You know, I was very excited when I uh, was told that this uh, service was going to be translated from my message into Spanish. And I kind of found myself being back in Africa and I anticipated that there'd be a translator right alongside me here and I'd be back preaching from English back into whatever language group that uh, I have been in. And in Congo, that has been my life. We have seven languages that we are translating our Christian resources into in the Congo. But just to put it into context a wee bit here, the Democratic Republic of Congo, you can see the little map on the bottom there of Africa with that little red square. And there you can see Congo right in the middle. It is a massive bit of dirt. You can actually fit all of Western Europe into that one nation of Congo. And then if we just click on the, the feed, you'll see the province that Joy, my wife Joy and I worked in for 22 years in Katanga province. And then when we click on it again, it gives you just a bit of an idea of the size of that particular country. Now within the network of our churches of which this church is a member, we have over 1,500 churches in that one province. Last year, we roofed 22 new churches. God is doing an exponential work of bringing the gospel to men and women within that land. And when we arrived in Congo at the beginning, we arrived on the back of missionaries who had done incredible work. The very first missionary went to Congo from one of our assemblies, our brethren assemblies in the United Kingdom. His name was Frederick Arnott. 
He arrived in Congo in 1886. That was before Africa was carved up into various colonial states. He was there before that, and he walked into Congo from the south and then another time from the coast of Angola. And when he got into that province, he found the kingdom run by a man called Mushidi. He was a paramount leader within the area. He had 500 wives. Some of those wives were the regents that controlled the areas or governed the areas where he was king. He was such a tyrannical leader, part Arab, part black African, Central African extraction, but he was a slave trader. He was smeltering metal, but what he did most was terrorize people. And when Arnott walked into that village and that compound, there were stakes all around that compound with skulls, some of them very fresh, all around the compound. There were executions every week within that area. And it took Mr. Arnott five years to see the first convert. Can you imagine that? Sometimes we feel like it's too hard here for the gospel to have impact. But Arnott persevered in that land. And about two lots of missionaries later came down the coast. Thirteen of our missionaries came down the coast of Africa. They anchored off the coast of Angola. And the first of the 13 died on board ship of malaria. And only three reached the interior. Huge sacrifice in order that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today there are 1,500 churches in that province. And there's not a single expatriate like you or I who are the pastors or the elders in those churches. They are all indigenously run. And then we have 520 network schools, that is primary and secondary schools, five schools for the deaf, schools for the blind. And there's not a single expatriate like you and I who teach in those schools. They are all indigenously run. And then we have eight major hospitals and dozens of clinics. And there is only one hospital that has missionary nurses, expatriate nurses. All the others are indigenously run, including our two training hospitals who train our doctors in surgery. Is that good or bad news? Clearly it is good news. And if one message comes to your heart this morning is that the gospel has the power to save the soul. And we would only let it penetrate our hearts and minds and take that gospel with confidence to other people. It may take five years, but God will win because He always does. And as you look at our mission, of which I now represent, having come home to New Zealand just as lockdown was occurring, I've engaged as mission ambassador, field ambassador, sharing the story of our assembly or our network of churches, mission endeavour across the globe. And I want to say to you, if you're a believer here this morning, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, hallelujah for that, you are made for mission. Every single one of us, as we have entered into the grace of God, as God has saved us and brought us into a, a living relation with the all-powerful God, He says to you, please, I want you to be my hands and feet in this world. And with our mission agency, with the network of our churches across New Zealand, we currently are working in 34 countries across the globe. 
And what's even perhaps more significant for many is that we're actually linked with 41 mission agencies. Some people like to say about our network of churches, oh, fuddy-duddies, they don't really know how the Spirit works. They have no idea. 41 mission agencies. That means SIM, OMF, YWAM, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, CBC, our own Brethren Network churches across the world. 41 mission agencies. We are large in our embracing of mission endeavour. And then we come down to our 214 missionaries that are currently engaged in those 114 cross-cultural mission experiences. And I thank you, my Spanish brothers and sisters. God has brought you to New Zealand to also to be part of his mission in reaching out to a very lost people here in New Zealand who need to know Jesus. And so I want to share with you today something about what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. It sounds like a very lofty title, doesn't it? But I want to say to you, there is a far more worthy context when we consider what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. For the Word of God tells us that we're all called to that role. And I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 20. And let's listen into this and try to extract what it means to be a missional church. I don't mean go offshore overseas necessarily. I mean with your ministries that you're going to look at, what does it mean for us to be involved in ministry in this church and how does it play out in a missional sense? Let's listen to the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. That in and of itself is a mission verse. Listen to it again and I'll put it in a slightly different context. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, to honour the Lord, to worship the Lord, to acknowledge the Lord. Since we know that, we try to persuade others. Then verse 13, if we're out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Hallelujah. Come on down to verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, or the new is here. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Thank goodness, eh? And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. Now listen to this verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What an amazing mission passage. The first truth found in the biblical title of ambassadors is found in verse 20. The ambassador's role is one of representing Christ. And we know that the object of a Christian faith is Christ. Our mission is to represent Christ in our lives, in our work, in our play, in our study, and as we rub shoulders with each other, even here in church this morning. And you might say, why, why did God do that for? Doesn't he know what a broken person this preacher is before you? Doesn't he know how inadequate I am? 
Why would he entrust his representation to the world through me or through us? Well, I think Jesus gives us an insight there in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Folks, the sense of being God's representative is based in those verses that perhaps you even learned as a child. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I stand before you as a missionary. I might have a name like Murray, but one of my first names is Sinner. I am a sinner saved by grace. And I am still a sinner today. And then it goes on in Romans 6, verse 23, and it compounds this understanding when it says, the wages of Murray's sin is death. In other words, separation from our God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know, don't we, that the virus of sin has separated men and women from God, and the only antidote is the mission of Jesus. The only antidote. So when we're called to be representatives of Christ, we're equally challenged to embrace Him and to become like Him. The second truth as to the role of ambassador is that it is a plural invitation. Verse 20 makes this clear when it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors working together. I wonder whether you remember the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, and it runs on down through that passage and it describes the church as being head, hands, and feet. In other words, what Paul is actually bringing about there is an understanding that we are to be involved in a plural engagement. We need each other. Paul understood that the church needed each other. The members of the church needed to work together in order to fulfill the mission of Jesus and represent him in the world. You know, when I came here this morning, I got here early. Craig was here. Josephine turned up. There were folk working out the desk here. The musicians were already playing. What a wonderful opportunity it is to be a networked group of people intentional about making Jesus known and helping people to see Jesus. I've observed over my life of ministry what causes mission to fail and sometimes churches. And forgive me if I'm a little bit blunt, but in my observation, what I've seen is jealousy, pride, domination, lack of love, actually just simply sin. The key to mission and church success is realized by those who have truly learned to enjoy the gifts and talents of their fellow ambassadors and work together with them. Not I wish it was me, but rather I love what you do. You know, one of the joys of sitting down here this morning was to hear children like I'm hearing now to hear their voices, to hear their little cry out. And you know that those children have gone up into that upper room there and there's somebody up there who is pointing those children to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That is being the we and not the me. 
That is understanding that if we're going to do church and if we're going to do mission well, we must get rid of the idea that I am so important to everything here and without me, everything will fail. God says the contrary. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors and then he will do his work of leading us and guiding us and growing us and missioning us to go out and do. And I am so excited that you have stands out there after this service where you are looking at the ministries of your church and understanding we can't do this on our own, but we can do it together. Great coffee, great conversation great children's ministry, great looking after those mums with the new babies. There's a whole lot of stuff going on here. Do you remember to say thank you? And when those children come down later on and they rejoin us, will you remember to say to the teachers, oh, listen, I want to thank you for, for pointing my child to Jesus, my grandchild to Jesus. You know, I've got children. I've got four children. I've got seven grandchildren. Joy and I start out every morning praying by name for our children and our grandchildren. Why? Because they need Jesus. And so we understand that it's about them, the, the, the we and not the me. And then the third truth of our motivation as Christ's ambassadors is found in verse uh, 14, where Paul talks about Christ's love compels me. You say, oh, Murray. What do you mean, Christ's love compels you? Don't you know what a broken person I am? Don't you know how difficult the people are around me? How can I be compelled by Christ's love? It doesn't even make sense. What am I going to do with that? Well, let me just tell you what I believe that means. When Paul talks about Christ's love compelling, he's remembering back to a day when he was a persecutor of the church. He would not only lock them up, but he'd see people put to death. He was present at the martyrdom of Stephen, that first Christian martyr. They put the cloaks at his feet, they tell us. And then one day as Paul was going on yet another journey to get those Christians, lock them up, persecute them, God knocks them off his horse. And there on the ground, he has an encounter with Jesus. And by the grace of God, God speaks to Paul and he comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome, what a wonderful story that is. You see, it's like this. Paul is sitting down there and he's thinking about his life and he's remembering how broken he was, how lost he was. Those verses in Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 talk about the difference between being lost and then found in the darkness and the light. And Paul knows that. He knows that he's a sinner. And later on, towards the end of his ministry, he even says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Paul continued, as you and I will, struggling with sin throughout our lives. But then he says, but for the grace of God, he acknowledges again the saving work of Jesus that can resurrect the life and take us on a journey of faith. And he is compelled by the love of God because he knows how much he has been saved by the love of God. Stunningly, it is that God knows me, my weakness, my sin, past, present, and future, my struggles, my imperfections, but he still seeks to gather me up and take me on a journey of faith and of repentance and, dare I say it, adventure, if you will allow him to. 
I wonder if you could just reflect for a minute. Who is the person that you'd most hate to come home to your place for lunch today? Can you think of that person? You just think, oh, no, please, no. no they're not that person. You got that person in your mind? Well, that's the one that God would invite and gather to himself. And truth, that is you and I. A holy God, fully knowing my every failure, our every failure, still loves us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says it like this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. God's grace should motivate us to serve. And motivated by the realization of an all-knowing God's grace and mercy and forgiveness that picks us up. And folks, that's what God offers to us every day. I am so grateful for the merciful action of God in my life over the years. He knows me. He knows my failures. He knows my struggles. But by his grace, every day he picks me up. And then there's a fourth truth about being ambassadors for Christ. And it tells us in verse 18 to 20 that our role as ambassadors is to bring reconciliation with God. And I love the verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, For Christ died for Murray, for sinners, once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. You know, when you know you are God's child, saved from sin, and that heaven is your destiny or your home. Then you understand why you are here on earth. Then you understand why the gospel is of first importance to your children, to your grandchildren, to your parents, to your friends, and you see how important it is to introduce people to Jesus who loves them. Reconciliation with God means a lot. It means forgiveness. We all need forgiving, folks. It means the hope of heaven. We all need the hope of heaven. And you know the awesome thing, and it came out in Craig's comments and prayer, it also means the company of God throughout our life's journey. Isn't that awesome? Did you know that you're indwelled by the Spirit of God? And He just wants to talk to you. He just wants to motivate you. He just wants to take you by the hand and take you on this journey of faith. You know, there is a fifth truth, and it wasn't in our passage, but we find it when Paul is asking for prayer in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, and Paul says this, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And this is towards the end of Paul's ministry. Wow, you know, one of the neat things about being here this morning was I attended three separate prayer events here before we even got started. This is a church that understands that we need to pray. We need to engage in prayer. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for family members. We need to pray for our work circumstances. We need to pray for our marriages. We need to pray in thanks and worship. Did you know, did you ever consider, why did Jesus pray? 
He's God, wasn't he? Isn't it a curious thing that Jesus prayed? Some people say to me, oh, that's because he was giving an example. No, it wasn't primarily what that was about. Jesus prayed because when he stepped down from glory, he took on the mantle of humanity, just like you and I, flesh and blood. And he had to pray. And he prayed in worship and adoration to God the Father. You know that he also prayed that people would come to faith? Do you know that he prayed in anguish? Do you remember the time when on, the, on his knees with his hands and his face to the ground, God is praying in anguish? Why would we not need to pray? Of course we need to pray. If God the Son needed to pray, we need to pray. And we need to remember that the reason Jesus prayed was because he took on the mantle of humanity and he has provided us with the opportunity to talk to his Father as he did and to receive from the Spirit that resides within us that encouragement, that understanding, that perception that will take us further on this journey of faith. To be an ambassador is a calling to walk as Jesus did. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And you know, if you're going to walk as Jesus did, there will be some hills and there will be some valleys. There will be some encounters that you will have to deal with. Suffering bad reactions from those who reject faith. Sacrificing of our time, our priorities given to God rather than to self and to selfishness. You know, when you think of Jesus, he actually had a missioning work that he began in that three-year period. We see that he went to the synagogue in Nazareth and he opened up the scroll there. And from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, he reads this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, speaking prophetically of himself. Because the Lord has anointed me, that is Jesus, to preach the good news to the poor and to the brokenhearted and, and to the prisoner. And you know, that's exactly what he did. As Jesus began that ministry, he began his walk with his disciples, teaching them and preparing them for going out on mission. And Jesus just keeps on going and he does not deviate to the left or to the right, but finally he is nailed to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. And when we talk about being a mission in community, we talk about that ultimate sacrifice of Jesus so that you and I can enjoy His grace and mercy, His forgiveness and His pickup every day to take us on the journey of faith. Would you allow Him to do that? Do not leave Jesus on the cross in your mind or in your heart, but take His message, His message of resurrection, His message of power, his message of saving grace and share it. The world needs to know Jesus. You know, in the 1040 window of our world, right there across East Asia, there are 3 billion people who have never heard the name Jesus. You say Jesus and they say, what is Jesus? And our prayer manual here, and if we could just look at the next slide, 
This is the prayer manual that introduces you to all our missionaries that we have out across our network, those 214 missionaries. And in the centre pages, you'll find what we call restricted access countries. We can't even give you their surname or the country they're working in because if it's known to the authorities there, they can be locked up or imprisoned or suffer some sort of severe persecution. But we want you to pray for them. Global Connections and Missions has as its goal. Our goal is to reach the world with the gospel message while growing indigenous Christian communities who can then reach beyond their communities with the message. And in Congo, I've got to tell you, I'm so delighted to see our Congolese going into Zambia and into Angola, across to Tanzania, off to Mozambique. I went to Paris to visit the very first convert from the GLO, Gospel Literature Outreach work that the Assembly started up in that part of, uh, of Europe. And I met him at his church and three of his elders were Congolese. And God is bringing to our land Spaniards, people from all across Asia, from Africa. We have pastors in our network who come from Brazil who are in New Plymouth and we've got pastors in, in, in uh, where is that, Patararu from Africa, from Kenya. Folks, the mission is coming to us and we need these people to come and share that gospel passion and take us on a journey with them. And so as you consider the next slide with our mission, I'm sorry, this is a wee bit tin tack, but forgive me for this. But our mission has three agencies. So when we talk about GC3, it means global connections times three trusts that we have. And the first trust is the one that supports all our missionaries, the 214 missionaries we have in this book. That trust is where money goes through, helps them to live, helps them to be supported in their ministries and Christian ministries. And the other thing it does, it gets their names in our prayer book. Why does it make sense for you to commend people to mission work and then get them included in this prayer book? Well, it makes sense because when they're included here, they get exposure to all our churches across New Zealand. Since I came home just as lockdown was occurring, I began my role, and this is my 109th meeting in churches of our network across New Zealand. In every church, I've found these books. And in every church, I've found people who pray. Folks, it's just an absolutely wonderful privilege to be able to include people, give them exposure, help them to be known across our community. The second trust is GCA, where you can get a tax rebate for mission-related activity that is aid-related. Things like the COVID-19. COVID-19 is obviously a very difficult circumstance at the moment. A lot of people have sent money through the mission agency and it's been used in specific engagement where COVID is creating difficulties for communities in which we have connection across the globe. And it can be hospitals like our hospitals in Congo or education programs. But what you need to understand is that second trust cannot be used for the supporting of your missionaries or buying Bibles or, or supporting a Bible school. That is not allowed within the legislation of our government here, but we can use that aid money to go out. Now, why does that make sense? Well, let me tell you a story. When I go to a hospital in Congo, it starts at day with a gospel service. 
the patients and the outpatients and the people that have come with them gather and they listen to the gospel be preached. And the last time I went to one of our hospitals before coming home, it was a hospital called Molongo. And at Molongo, we were having a special medical campaign, a surgical campaign. So there was a lot more people there that were at those services in the morning. And in the two days that I was present there before I travelled 100 k's further north to our theological school, in that two days at those two gospel services in the morning, I saw 125 people come to faith in Christ. And then they train chaplains that work within our hospitals. And then our staff are Christians. And every operation begins with the surgeons praying. Isn't that awesome? You see how aid, when you think gospel, can really happen. And I was about to leave Congo, and this was kind of, it was very heart-rendering. In fact, I was crying as the guys were singing to me, God be with you till we meet again. That's probably going to be in heaven. And then they told me they were just producing these pamphlets for COVID-19. And these pamphlets were going to tell the people how to work with hygiene and distancing and all the things that are necessary. And think, well, that's pretty sensible, isn't it? But then on the reverse side, they printed gospel tracting and Bible teaching. And it went out over 800 kilometer radius to our centers across that Katanga province. In two locations, the medical authorities in the region came and confiscated the material from the churches and they said, oh, we're the ones to tell the people about COVID-19 and this is really good material, so we're going to distribute it. <laughs> so what did they do? They printed more. That's what you call intelligent aid work, where the gospel has an integral part in what you do as you go out and you give aid to people. It is wonderful to engage, and you should engage, in activity within your community that actually help encourage people in a suffering world. But don't forget the gospel saves the soul. The gospel is the absolute, ultimate healing tool, and we need to continue to share it. And the last trust is our office in Palmerston North, there where we collate the information and get it out to you through the web and through our prayer books. There where the money comes through and each month it is sent out to the missionary saving bank fees because the gifts coming from various parts across New Zealand are accumulated and go out. And currently we're able to send money to all 34 countries without restriction. We had trouble with India last year, but that's opened up again as we've negotiated the channel of getting that money out to India. That is unique. So what I'm going to say is a little bit sort of not terribly PC, but please get over it a wee bit, folks, about this Brethren title or this historical roots thing. Many of you are not had that background, perhaps, but there is good things that have happened and are happening. And in the missioning context, we can really be a support to you. So please, the brochure that you picked up off your seat, perhaps, it outlines those three trusts. It introduces you to what we do as GC3. You'll see on the back page there, there's a headspace program for youth that are leaving school and wanting to have maybe a year. We call it a gap year. That program is being revised at the moment. Next year, we will have a new program. It will be New Zealand-based. We can't get offshore at the moment on the short-term missions, but there is such a diversity of people within our land that we've got some great programming coming up. So please remember to pray for GC3 and for your missionaries that you have out. Doesn't matter if they're not with our mission, pray for them. 
Support them. Get engaged with them. And God will bless you in this work. Have I got time for a five-minute? What I want to show you is just a little video clip. And it's of Congo. And we're away from there now, but that work is an indigenous work. God is really doing an amazing work amongst the Congolese. Joy, my wife, is interviewing Benjamin. Benjamin can hear English, and he's getting better all the time. But he was responding in French, so I'm translating over his voice. And you'll just hear a little bit about what is happening in Congo, and it'll give you a picture of what can be and what is. We need to understand that in our Western world, we are no longer the dominant factor in terms of the impact of church growth and, and the church um, missioning impact. But that means that we need to have our eyes on where God is working and inviting them to speak to us. So may God speak to you as you just watch this little interview and see this short snippet of the Congo work. Let's watch it together. At the end of the message is this. It's about the we, not the me. And as we exit later on out of this building and we go see those ministry tables, may God give you a vision of the we. May you love each other. May you support each other. May you say, thank you. Well done. And may we be a community that regain that missional heart to reach out to people within our community, within our church community, and beyond these doors in order that people would get to know Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the power of the gospel that saved the soul. We thank you for the men and women that you brought across our lives and who talked to us about Jesus and helped us to discover that wonderful pathway of grace and deliverance. We pray, O oh God, as Paul prayed, that you give us the words to speak and the courage to speak the words. Help us, Father, as we soon enjoy examining the ministries of this church that you might, Lord, just make us a praying community, one for another, that we may love each other and that we may serve each other in ways that honour you. We thank you, our God, for your presence with us right now and we acknowledge your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.